Um, I had started a series uh, back, it was sometime in, the, in that hurricane time, right, when we weren't meeting in here and that. So whenever I uh, get the opportunity to speak uh, in, in big church, I get to speak uh, to, to the adults, to the whole church together. It's always hard, you know, coming up with one sermon here, one sermon there. So I started a series, um, and it is on prayer. Uh, this is whenever Jeremy doesn't give me a, a, an assigned topic. Um, but this is all taken, I mentioned this before and I didn't have the book with me. It, it, this is all taken from this book, Beyond All You Could Ask or Think, uh, by Ray Pritchard. Um, it is, this is a great book on prayer. Uh, so if you're looking for a resource on prayer, uh, this is one that I would recommend. Uh, Dr. Pritchard was uh, one of my professors in college, uh, so, and I know him, know him well and have, have sat under his teaching a lot, read a lot of his books. So there, that's a good one uh, for you to read if you're looking for one. Uh, but, but we're going through different prayers, and we're, we're learning about prayer, right? We, we mentioned, uh, however long ago that was, a couple months ago, when we started this series, uh, we pray a lot in our churches uh, and, and here we spend a lot of time in prayer, and we all, myself included, kind of fall into that trap of sometimes either not knowing what to pray, or we end up going through a list, right, and we're checking it off, um, praying for this, praying for that. Uh, and when you read the examples we have in God's Word of prayer, and the prayers of the apostles, or the prophets, uh, or, or the leaders that God had, the kings, the prayers of David in the Psalms, and like we're going through here, the prayers of Paul, you see there, you, you compare them to the way, at least for me, the, the way I pray, and it, it's totally different. It's night and day. So what we're doing is we're going through the prayers of Paul, and we're going to be in the book of Colossians today. Uh, you see it up there on the screen, but you can be flipping there to, to the prayer that Paul prays for the church in Colossae. Uh, so we're going to be reading this here in just a second. Before we get to that, here in Colossians chapter 1, I kind of want to give us a, a, a brief overview to know who, who the Colossians were, uh, who this church was, and, and their situation, so we can have a little bit better understanding. Okay, so Paul was writing this, the, the, the Colossians, the church in Colossae. Um, Colossae was a city uh, close to Ephesus. Uh, Paul spent... Uh, a little more than two years there in, in Ephesus, training people, training leaders, teaching, preaching, and seeing that church grow. Uh, and it was probably one of the biggest churches in that region uh, of, of Asia Minor. And we've actually got different letters that Paul wrote, right? The book of Ephesians uh, was actually a circular letter written to that entire region with Ephesus as the, the main city in there. Uh, but Coloss the book of Colossians was actually written to a group of people that Paul had never met. So let's remember that as we're going through this prayer. Paul had never met these people. We assume from what we can gather from other books of the Bible that a man named Epaphras was in Ephesus, got saved, and was discipled under the ministry of Paul. And he went back to his hometown of Colossae, and there he spread the gospel and founded the church of the Colossians. Uh, so Paul hears about this church. While he's in Rome, he actually writes three different letters all about the same time. The one that, that we know now is the book of Ephesians, the one that we're going to be in today, the book of Colossians, and also the letter to Philemon. Because the church in Colossae, we assume, met in Philemon's house. 
So these letters all kind of cover similar material, at least Ephesians and Colossians do. Uh, Ephesians actually uh, displays Christ, or the, the church as the body of Christ. Colossians displays Christ as the head of the church. So similar material covered from a different perspective. And when you're reading through it, you can see a lot of these things that kind of line up. Uh, and that'll get through it. If you're ever reading through these books together, studying them, that'll help you kind of understand them. But, but I want to dive in here. Colossians chapter 1, uh, in verse 9, we see Paul's prayer as he is uh, praying for these people, these believers his brothers and sisters in Christ that he had never met. So let's read here Paul's prayer. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. says, And so, from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to God the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in life. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Let's look to the Lord in prayer as we begin this morning. God, I just thank you so much for the opportunity to be here together. I thank you as we were coming off this week where we, we focus on giving thanks. I just thank you for this church. I thank you for our pastor. I thank you for the ministry opportunities you've given us and the, the facilities and the land that you've blessed us with to do ministry here in LaGrange. God, I thank you for your word. And I just pray that uh, you would speak to us today, that we would learn from your word, we would grow and, and we would see what it is that you have for us and our spiritual lives and our lives as we shine your light to the world around us. God, we pray these things in your name. Amen. So when you look at this, you, you look at this, uh, this prayer here, um, there's a lot in here. And just like most things in Paul's writing, right, he was a, the, a leading theologian, right? He was, a, he was a lawyer. He was a very detail-oriented guy. So all of his letters are just packed full of stuff that you can spend over two years studying one letter like the book of Hebrews or something, right, that Pastor Jeremy has done that. So uh, we can do that, and we're just going to look at this one little section here, and we're going to break it down into kind of bite-sized points, and it's, it's more of a progression as you go through this. So when you look at this whole prayer, okay, verses 9 to 14, you, there's actually one main request. So the main request is that we, that these people that Paul is praying for would be filled with the knowledge of his will. That's the request. So in all of this big long prayer, you've got one request, to be filled with the knowledge of his will. And, and this is not something that's, that's uncommon to us, right? 
Has anybody asked, you know, what's the will of God for my life? You guys ever asked that before? Yes. I'm a youth pastor, so I hear that from teenagers all the time, right? What's the will of God for my life? And we, we know this. As adults, we kind of go through this. When we think about the will of God, we're asking those big questions, right? For, for younger people, it's who am I going to marry? Where am I going to go to college? All of that stuff. For adults, it kind of changes into, you know, am I going to take this job? Am I going to move here? Am I going to move there? Should I do this business deal? Should, how should we work out these things? We, we ask for God to reveal His will to us. But actually, uh, I want to take a step back and, and ask the question, what is the will of God? Like, what do we mean by that? And when you look in, in the Bible, there's actually two different concepts that have to do with the will of God. So before we, we kind of dive into this question, we need to understand what, what's being said here. So really, there's, there's a difference between God's decreed will and His desired will. There's two different concepts. These two are, are made clear in, in, in the Bible when we're talking about the will of God, His decreed will and His desired will. Okay, the first thing is really when we talk about wanting to know the will of God, this is usually what we're talking about, the decreed will. So the Greek word up here, uh, bulamai, I don't speak Greek, so I'm assuming that that's how you pronounce it. My little computer program, I, I listen to it. Okay, bulamai, is that right? I don't know. Um, you can ask my wife. I'm not that good at pr pronouncing German words either. But decreed will, this really has to do with God's plan. That word actually means making a plan and putting it in action is what the, the Greek word means, bulamai. So we see this a lot. We want to know this. What is, what is God's decreed will, right? We understand God is sovereign, so what He plans is going to happen, right? Anything that happens is part of God's plan, and we wrestle with that sometimes, the difference between, you know, God's sovereignty and the free will of man and how those things work together, and we're not going to get into that debate right now. We just know, okay, God is sovereign, and when He decrees something, He has a plan He's going to put in place, it's going to happen, um, and you see this different places, but uh, the, the, a great illustration of this is in Acts 16. When you're studying through the book of Acts and Paul on his missionary journeys, we see him going and, and he was trying to go in, into Asia, it says. And he tries to go here, but he's prevented from going up into Asia. And he tries to go at this other time and he's, it says the Holy Spirit you know, prevented him from doing these things. And then that's when Paul gets the Macedonian call and he goes over to Macedonia and starts preaching the word there. And that clearly was God's plan. A lot of times we are so focused on what is God's plan? Am I supposed to move here? Am I supposed to buy this house? Am I supposed to go to this college? You know, whatever it is in our situations, we're focused on wanting to know what God's plan is for our life. What has he decreed? One of those nice things, God is sovereign. So everybody take a deep breath. What God wants to happen is going to happen, okay? God's decreed will is going to come about. His plan for our life is going to, is going to happen. Um, so we can relax there and know that, that God will work His plan. What He wants to happen in His sovereign will will come about. Uh, and that's, that's that concept of the, the bulamai, God's plan, His decreed will. Then we see another concept, and that's His desired will. His desired will. This is the uh, telema. Again, don't take my Greek pronunciation for that. I assume that's how it's said. Telema. Okay, and that's God's desires. Literally, it just means you know desire, something you want. 
okay? Like the, the four and five-year-olds telling us all of their Christmas presents, right? That was a conversation before uh, church this morning, what things they're asking for Christmas. It's their desires. Um, I was talking with one of our teenagers this week, and, and we were going back and forth about, you know, God and how He has emotions and God has desires. You know that, right? God has desires, things He wants to happen. But again, this is one of those, the sovereignty of God versus the free will of man. God has things that He desires to happen, but He's not going to force it on us. And so when the Bible talks about God's telema, okay, God's desires, the things that, that He wants to happen, that's what this is talking about. But, but in our English translations, a lot of times it talks about the will of God. And this is the way, this is the, the Greek word behind it. The, a, a great illustration of this is found in Jesus Himself in the garden. Matthew 26, Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross, and we know He was praying, right? And He prays, God, if it's Your will, let this cup pass from me, but not as I will, but as You will. Not as I, telema, it's that word, not as I desire, but as You desire, God. And then, obviously, we know how God's bulamai, His sovereign plan, worked out in that situation. And God's desire for Jesus to go to the cross also was part of His sovereign plan, and it worked for our salvation, like God planned, right? So we see kind of these things going in conjunction. We can, we can get really deep and into the weeds with it, but I just want us to separate these two here. And what's the, the word used in this verse? To be filled with the knowledge of His will. That's the second one, God's desires. So what Paul is praying for these Colossians is that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's desires, His telema, the things that He wants to happen. That was a prayer, that, that they would know God's desires. We'll see in a second, and then can live them out right? But this is, the, the focus actually in this, this phrase is not on the knowledge of God's will. It's actually on being filled with the knowledge of God's will. So we've kind of got to take a step back again, and what does filled actually mean? Filled, let me get caught up, means fully supplied, filled to overflowing, or controlled by controlled by. We understand this. In English, we talk about somebody being filled with anger or filled with rage, right? It's that anger or that rage that is controlling them. Or filled with love, right? And that love is controlling their actions. Uh, this weekend, or this week, uh, I was with family, right, over Thanksgiving, and I was having a conversation with my dad, and uh, it was breakfast time, and so the girls were running around, and Laura was pointing at the Oreos, and she wanted cookies for breakfast. And I forget, I think it was Jessica. Jessica was like, no, you don't have cookies for breakfast. And I said, well, what about cookie crisp? Right? Anybody eat cookie crisp? The cereal? That's breakfast cereal, Sue, right? Medical uh, professional back there eats cookie crisp, so it has to be healthy, right? <laughs> so I said, you can have cookies for breakfast, cookie crisp, right? My dad looks at me, and he's like, Nathan, when did you ever have cookie crisp for breakfast? Obviously, I never did, right, because uh, Dad wouldn't let me have it because it's not actually healthy for you. Um, but I looked at him and said, yes, Dad, but if one of these little girls looked at you and said, 
Granddad, can I have cookie crisp for breakfast? He would be at the grocery store buying cookie crisp and coming back. Why? Because he is filled with love for these little girls, right? He's controlled by that. Now, it didn't work for me when I was his son, but as you know, the, these cute little girls can have anything they want because granddad is filled with love for these little girls. We understand this concept to be filled with the knowledge of God's will. You know, another place that this word shows up in the New Testament is a perfect, perfect picture. Flip in your Bibles to John chapter 12. John chapter 12. We're going to start right in verse 1. This idea of being filled to overflowing, the idea of being fully controlled by, we see here in John chapter 12, verse 1, again, very shortly before the crucifixion, the beginning of Passover week. John chapter 12, verse 1, it says, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave him a dinner, so they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard, and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Now again, there's so much in this story, uh, but let's just focus on that idea, the, the house being filled with the fragrance of that perfume. We know what that's like when somebody walks in the room and they've got a little bit too much perfume or cologne on. Probably it's a middle school boy, right? Uh, I don't, I, you, if you ever go to a middle school, you know what it's like. The boys don't take showers and they take the axe or whatever their cologne of choice is and spray it all over them so you can't smell the nasty smell off their bodies. And then they walk into a room, okay, pray for all of the teachers, okay, all of your middle school teachers, because it's just permeating throughout the whole room and you're just choking and, you know, take allergy medicine and try what because it's so overpowering that smell, you cannot ignore it. Um, also pray for the leaders that go on junior trek because the van is exactly the same way. Um, <laughs> but the house was filled with the smell, right? Mary worshiping Jesus and her love for Jesus and her worship of him <laughs> filled the house with this smell because of the, the ointment that she was pouring out on his feet. You couldn't miss it. So when Paul, using the same word, says that we need to be filled with the knowledge of God's will, the knowledge of his desires, God's desires, what we know in our heads about what God wants for our lives, what God desires found in his word. That knowledge should so fill our lives and fill our minds and fill our hearts that we can't ignore it. That's what Paul's praying. Praying that we're filled with the knowledge of God's will. So this works out practically because when we have our devotions and we're, we're studying what God desires, right? You hear the, the classic phrase, the will of God is in the word of God. You heard that before? 
if you want to know what God's will is for your life, look in God's Word. Now, we're not saying the bulamai, God's plan, right? There's a classic preacher joke of, uh, you know, the, the guy that, that his preacher told him that, you know, you want to know the will of God, you know, turn to the Word of God. And, and so he flips and points, right? And it was like, and Solomon had 471 wives. No, God, that is not God's will for your life, right? No, but we're finding God's desires in His Word. What He's written down for us, we can see what He desires. So as we know more about God's Word, we know more about His desires, and the more our lives are filled with God's desires, we just can't ignore it. And so then we live those out, which is where we get to the the purpose, okay? So we had the request, which was um, to be filled with the knowledge of His will, we get to the purpose. Uh, but before that, I forgot this was up here. What we should be praying, right, for each other, for our friends, for the church leadership, for our children, for ourselves, we should be praying is to be fully controlled by God's will, loving what He loves and wanting what He wants. That's the prayer. That's the heart of this prayer, that we love what God loves. We want what He wants. Too often what we do is we pray to know God's will, and really what we're saying is, God, show me your plan, and I'll I'll decide whether I like that or not. But what we should be really praying is, God, show me your desires so that they can take the place of my desires, right? Not as I will, but as you will. Not what I want, but what you want, God. And then... The, the purpose of this, okay, so that's the prayer, the request. The purpose is this next phrase, that we walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Another, another word for you, worthy, right? This literally means in the Greek, heavy. The idea being it's a value, right? And when you would go into a, a marketplace and they would, they would take things and, you know, they'd weigh them out. And if something had a, a, a lot of value, right, on one of those scales, then they would weigh, it would weigh a lot. And they would, you know, you'd be weighing the gold or the silver or whatever you're using to pay, and, it, you know, you'd have to put a lot of weight into it because it was of value. Another way we, we talk about this is, you know, somebody's a heavyweight, not being, meaning that they're big, right, but that their life has value. It's not a good compliment to call anybody a lightweight, Right? We kind of understand this in English. Um, Nobody makes a big deal about the lightweight champion of the world, right? No, it's the heavyweight champion of the world, right? We get that in the boxing idea or wrestling. Um, But if we want to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, we want our lives to have value, right? Value not to us or to people around us, but value to God. Another way to say this is what Paul says here in, in Colossians. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him. Fully pleasing to Him. So how are we going to please God? How are we going to please God? Think about it within our human relationships, okay? Uh, Jessica and I just celebrated last month, well, this month because it's still November, our seventh wedding anniversary. So let's pretend I really wanted to be pleasing to my wife for our anniversary. 
So I was going to go out. Obviously, it had to be gluten-free, right? Uh, I had to do something gluten-free. Uh, sushi would be a great thing, right? Fish, rice. You can go out, find the best sushi restaurant I could find, and tell Jessica, hey, I've, you know, money is no object. We're going here. You can get whatever you want, right? Would Jessica be happy? Those of you that know Jessica, everybody shake your head no, because Jessica hates sushi, okay? That would not be pleasing to my wife to take her to a sushi restaurant, Okay, I like sushi. Jessica does not. My dad says, uh, Jesus in his glorified body, right? We know that story. They studied it in the, the preschool Sunday school class, right? He's in his glorified body and the disciples are out on the water and he, they you know, catch a lot of fish again because Jesus told them how to do it. And they come to shore and Jesus there had breakfast fish over the fire. So dad says that if Jesus in his glorified body cooked fish, then we should cook fish too. But the, you agree. Perfect. Okay. Jessica does not like sushi. So if I'm going to please Jessica, I need to know what her desires are. That, that word pleasing in the New Testament here in this passage actually means doing something desirable. So if we're going to know God's desires, we've, we've got to do that before we can do something desirable. See how those things go together? If we're going to be pleasing to God, if our lives are going to be pleasing to God, we need to know the things that He desires. And we need to be filled with the knowledge of His will, of those desires. So to walk pleasing, worthy of the Lord, our life has value. Another great picture of this is, is a father looking at his son and being pleased in what he does. Now, not this, you know, blind, right? I'm going to color this picture and it's just a bunch of scribbles on a paper and you hold it up and you're, oh, that's so great. I'm so proud of you, right? No, this is the idea of a, an adult son that has done something and brought honor to his family. God says that he was pleased. This is my beloved son in who I'm, whom I am well pleased. And we, if we do God's desires and we live them out and we are pleasing to God, when we get to heaven, we'll hear the words, well done, good and faithful servant. So if our life has value or is going to have value, we need to do things that are pleasing to God. And to do things that are pleasing to God, we need to know what pleases Him, what His desires are. So if we do all of those things, there's a couple of results. And Paul gets into this, the, the results the first one is that we'll bear fruit in our work. We'll be bearing fruit in every good work. We know about the fruit of the Spirit, right? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Everybody, anybody start singing a song in your head as I go through that? We know the fruit of the Spirit. And this idea that the fruit is the natural byproduct of a healthy tree, right? If it's a dead tree, it's not going to produce fruit. If it's a dying tree, it's not going to produce fruit. If we're a dead Christian, so to speak, we're not going to be producing fruit in our lives. The fruit of the Spirit's not going to be evident. If we're sick spiritually, something's wrong with our lives, we won't be bearing fruit. But if we're doing the things that are pleasing to God, our life will naturally be producing this fruit. Jesus said in John 15, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is 
that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So even here, we're, we're reminded that this is not something we do, but something that the Holy Spirit does through us, right? As we abide in Christ, we know His will, we're filled with the knowledge of His will, and we live that out. It's the Holy Spirit producing the fruit in our lives for people to see. So in the way we work, right, letting God control us, letting God control our desires. And then it goes on, it says, we'll, we'll continue to get to know God, increasing in the knowledge of God. And this is mentioned a lot, right? A relationship with God, getting to know God, we're knowing His desires, right? The way I know that my wife doesn't like sushi is because I've gotten to know her, right? So the more I get to know her, the more I know her desires. And this is one of those you know, circular things. It, it kind of reciprocates on top of itself. The, the idea of our faith in God and our knowledge of God increasing as we have faith in Him and see Him work. And we get to know God better and then we can have more faith and get to know God more. In Proverbs it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. And all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths, or make straight your paths. That word acknowledge, when you actually get it there, is in Proverbs, in, in Hebrew, it literally means know. In all your ways, know God. Trust in the Lord, right? We know that part, right? We trust in God. We have our trust in Him, that He's going to work things out. He's sovereign. He's going to work His plan. But when we trust God, in all our ways, we know God. We get to know God, and He's going to make our path straight. Here we've got this idea, of, again, of the will of God, right? He's going to make our path straight. He's going to order our steps, right? He's going to tell us what the next step is in His decreed will. But our responsibility is trusting God and knowing God. Right? Doing the things that we know already from His Word, He desires in our lives. And then He'll take care of those right, sovereign plans as we take each step down that path that He's prepared for us. So, we'll continue to get to know God more. That's a result of this. Being filled with the knowledge of His will allows us to even know God better. And then we'll be strengthened by His power. And that leads to joyful endurance. When, when we yield control of our lives over to God, it, it actually empowers us more. A lot of times we feel like we need to be in control, right? We want to hold things really, really tight. We want to do the things we want to do. But when we let go and say, God, not my will, but your will, we hand things over to Him and we, we do His desires, that actually gives us access to the, the power of God working through us. And it's the outward expression of that, that power is that endurance through hard times. As things seemingly go wrong in our life, we can, we can trust in God and, and what He's doing in us and through us and it's the, the power of God working through us that leads to that joyful endurance. 
Again, kind of connecting some of these thoughts. Hebrews chapter 12, a familiar passage. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Remember we said this same word for God's will. Jesus prayed in the garden, not my will, not my desires, but yours be done. And after he prayed that prayer, he was taken to the cross. And Hebrews tells us he ran with endurance. The joy that was set before him. Not, you know, the, being tortured and nailed to a cross and dying, okay? That, that was not joyful, okay? That was, that was hard. Jesus didn't want to do that, right? He said, not, but then he said, not my desires, but your desires, right? And it was God's ultimate plan that gave Jesus the endurance to go through that hard situation. So as we face tough situations, whether it's in our jobs or our homes or in our communities or whatever it is, these hard situations and we want to have endurance to get through them joyfully, we need to be focused not on our desires, but on His desires. And if we focus on letting His desires control us, loving what He loves, wanting what He wants in each and every situation, we take our eyes off of ourselves and on others. If Jesus was focused on Himself, He would not have let these people beat Him, put a crown of thorns on His head and nail Him to a cross until He died. He was thinking about others. So when we are thinking about God's desires, getting our eyes off ourselves, we can go through these hard situations and be looking, how, can, how is this a ministry opportunity? How can I share the love of Christ with people? We've got the power of God working through us because that's not a natural thing to do. It's not a natural thing to be thinking about others when we're going through a hard time. But through the power of the Holy Spirit, having God's desires, we can focus on others and have that endurance to get through these hard times because of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. The last result that, that Paul kind of lays out in this prayer is thankfulness. Thankfulness. Always being thankful to Him. Now, we just came off of Thanksgiving, right? And so you, you may have taken some time, whether it's just personally or with your family, right, around the table while all the food's getting cold. Do any families do that? Um, to, to, to be thankful, right? And we're thankful, you know, for our family, for our friends, for the food, for, for all of these things. Great blessings that God has given us. We're a, an amazingly blessed people. But here, Paul, not discrediting those things, but Paul focuses on the, the focus where, where all of our thankfulness really comes from. Not just the blessings of God that are material or relational or, or anything like that, but in our salvation. It says, giving thanks 
oh, let me find it, giving thanks to the Father who's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Right? We're qualified. We're not disqualified. We're qualified to share in this spiritual inheritance. Why? Because of our salvation. He's delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The thankfulness for our salvation, right, working out in us. As we focus on that thankfulness, it gives us that motivation for wanting to know the will of God for wanting to know His desires, right? He sacrificed everything for us so that we, out of thankfulness, can serve Him, right? It's not the, the works that we do that save us, but, but we work for Him out of thankfulness because He did save us. And when we're controlled by His desires... We're doing that because of our thankfulness for our salvation. He, he took us, in, and I love the, the illustration that Paul uses, right? Delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. That it always gives me the idea of Lord of the Rings, right? You know, and you've got kind of the, the dark land of Mordor, and it's evil and all of that, and you kind of were saved out of the darkness and brought to the light, right? This kind of poetic light versus dark there, right? If you're more of a Star Wars guy, right? Saved from the dark side of the force and brought to the light side. But it's that, that perfect picture of we were in the domain of Satan. That's where we were. We did his works. We did his desires. We were of our father to the devil, Tell Jeremy he needs to read that on Father's Day sometime. He never does. I don't know why. But that's what we were. We were in the domain of darkness. We did the works of our Father. But when we're saved, we're rescued out of that and transferred into the kingdom of God as His children. And from that, when we look at that and really grasp how awesome that is, it's just kind of a natural thing to say, well, okay, God. What do you want me to do now? What do you desire for my life? How should I live? And not just, you know, big picture, where should I go to college? Who should I marry? What should my job be? Should I move and take this new job? Whatever. It's just a, how do I respond in this situation to this person? How do you desire for me to react? God, how do you desire for me to, to set priorities for my family? What, do you, what are your desires in, in this situation, God? How can I bring you glory out of thankfulness for our salvation? So when we pray, because remember, this is a prayer. When we pray, we should pray for God's will to take control of our lives. His desires to replace our desires. Because this is the only way to live a life that really matters. When we live that way, it'll be evident. The way we work, our fruit, the way we make decisions, how we handle hard times, and the way we praise God. All of these things are, are results from 
simply yielding control of our desires and letting God replace them with His desires. So let's make that our prayer this week for ourselves and for each other in our church, that God's desires would so permeate our hearts and minds that we just can't ignore it. Let's pray. God, I thank you so much that we can read these prayers that you've sovereignly inspired here to to be recorded for us. God, I pray for each and every one of us here that we would be filled with the knowledge of your will. God, I pray that we couldn't get around it, that we'd surrender control of our desires and, and your desires would replace them so that we can walk in a way that's of value, God, that we would be pleasing to you so that one day you can say to each and every one of us, well done, good and faithful servant. I pray that Community Baptist Church would be bearing fruit for our community to see and we would get to know you more. We would make decisions based on what you desire for us and not our own desires. I just pray that the people around us would see our thankfulness as we are rejoicing in you, in our salvation, in our Savior's birth, and in all the blessings that you've given us. I just pray that through it all, you would be glorified. God, we pray all these things in your name. Amen. Thank you all for coming this morning. Uh, Don't forget, no service tonight, but there is choir practice at 4.30 if you want to get your Christmas music fix, um, because I don't think the radio stations have started yet. Um, Also, don't forget, have some of them been started? Go to JCPenney and you can hear them all the time. Yes, so we will see you here. Also, no Wednesday service. We'll see you here next Sunday. Uh, Also, I forgot to mention, go on Facebook. Check it out. This was our first service streamed on Facebook, and it worked. I'm getting a thumbs up. Hi, Facebook land. From the people on Facebook. So share that, and uh, your friends can can see uh, what's been going on at your church. Uh, Thank you all. Have a great week.